everyone. I'm Kristen Lago. And I'm Jody Storm Sullivan. Welcome to episode five of the He Said, She Said podcast. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different tonight. We are just solely going to be an audio podcast here. You know. um, shout out to that Game 7 Late Night Ooh, World Series. Late night game. understatement, yes. <laughs> so sorry you won't be able to see us this week, but you can still listen to us on SoundCloud. Definitely still go subscribe to the YouTube. We will be back on video next week. Um, or subscribe to us on iTunes if you prefer listening to us because, you know, voice is great too. Yeah, of course. You know, on the car rides home, you can't watch <laughs> us anyway. So make sure to tune in. Um, so we're going to get right on with it then. We're going to start off how we always do with a little fast pitches. Yeah. You want to switch things up this week and have you go first? Definitely. Ooh, let's go. go first. Like it. All, All right. right. So uh, World Series most definitely on the brain today. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a writer at heart. I'm a big sucker for some great writing and... This is an opening from a New York Times article that I'm just going to want to read. I know it's going to be longer than a minute, but man, it's just, it's great. I'll give it to you for this one. I'm going to concede over the minute. Here we go. Throughout more than a century of baseball in America, where teams have risen to championship heights and fallen to miserable lows several times over, and where cities have lost teams, gained them, and lost them again, there was always the Chicago Cubs and their futility. Sometimes the Cubs were good. More often, they were just bad. But since 1901, they had not done what so many other teams had, not even through fluke or plain luck. The United States fought two world wars. The Soviet Union grew to dominance and then imploded. Diseases were wiped off the earth, and technology took us from newfangled automobiles to moon rockets and beyond. And still, the Cubs could not win a World Series. Their fans trudged in and out of Wrigley Field thousands of times over the years and came to believe the team was cursed. But 2016 was the 108th year after their last title, and a baseball is sewn together with 108 stitches. This had to be the year it was. That is beautiful. Yeah, right? So obviously, like, <coughs> the intro is great. I'll just kind of really simplistically sharing the differences of, of how time has passed and how everything has changed since the Cubs last won their title. But I honestly think kind of the kicker here is that that last couple of sentences is the fans coming in and out, believing their team was cursed, and then the connection to the 108th year, to the 108 stitches on a baseball. Like, that <laughs> is just pure poetry and beauty. And I just, I think that really shows and highlights the beauty that is that is baseball and that baseball has and I really think sets baseball apart from the other kind of major sports franchises in the US is that is that baseball at its roots there's just an elements of purity and and really beauty that I think just kind of rounds out the sport. I definitely agree with you there because I'm not a traditional fan of the sport itself. I wouldn't say baseball is my favorite, but I really can appreciate the simplicity and the beauty that is kind of in those silent moments of baseball and in the fandom. So loyal. Oh, my God. Met so many Cubs fans last night when I was out <laughs> kind of watching the game and just to see how happy they were is amazing. I think it was incredible. So my fast pitch also has to do, excuse me, it has to do with the World Series a little bit um, less prophetic, I must say, than <laughs> Jody's. Um, it's going to be a, just a quick bit. I don't know if anybody else saw on Twitter, uh, the Cubs organization tweeted out this little letter template. <laughs> and this stems from, I actually saw on the news that a kid actually used this kind of letter format before. He was like emailing his teacher and he missed class, but he checked in. 
and he lived in uh, Chicago, I believe. And so he checks into class on his phone and is not there. And the teacher emails him and goes, "Hi, I know you were you were actually not in class, and I see you checked in. Are you trying to lie to me?" And this kid goes, "I'm so sorry. Like it was game. I don't. What was it? Five it was, was in Chicago, the, right? It was the championship series between them. I think the Dodgers. Okay, yeah. So he's at the game and he tweets him like, "Sorry, I couldn't miss this. Like we're on a historic <laughs> run." And then the Cubs do the same thing. So they send out this letter template that's like. Uh, hi, can you please excuse, excuse blank from this class? She, he or she has been a fan of the Cubs for this long and has waited 108 years to see them in the World Series. And it was just really funny. I thought they did a really good job of playing off how long the drought actually was. And obviously now not anymore. Uh, hopefully everyone watched the game and knows who won. Yeah, um, but I thought it was really funny. Good use of social media and playing off something that actually did happen. So. Yeah, I really hope. I think it's really funny when stuff like that kind of comes up on Twitter, wh- whether it's stemming from teams' actual accounts or if it's fans being like, hey, look, I'm going to send this email to my professor. Mm-hmm. I really hope that people use that to, like, get out of school. Not necessarily get out of work. <laughs> I hope that's... they use sports to get out of school. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little harder. Obviously, like, yeah, go school, awesome. But I just think that that's, I mean, it's so unique, and Chicago must just be a, such a fun place to be in. I right wish now. I was there right now. I know <laughs> one of our friends. Uh, we had a meeting this morning, and she was saying that the minute they won, she talked to her mom for five minutes, and this five minutes later, she walked out the door and was like, "Okay, I'm going to Chicago," and yep. she's missing ten <laughs> days of school because she wants to go to all the parades Whoa. and celebrations. So, really special time for them. I'm really excited. So, I guess fun. now that we talked about the World Series, might as well continue talking about yeah, the game itself. Why not? So, um, a long game. Yeah, definitely a long game, which that's why we're now recording and it's Thursday and yeah. not Wednesday. <laughs> so we tried to wait until the end of the game. Then that didn't happen because of some rain and uh, definitely in 10th inning. So very long. But I must say about the game last night, I know I repeat this all the time, but I don't like baseball. And if I do like baseball, I'm a Dodgers fan. And so I should hate the Cubs. I should have been going for the Indians. But watching that game last night, I was so stressed out for both sides just because I think at the beginning of the game, I was at a sports bar when, um, was it Fowler who hit the home run, the first run of the game, a home run, so crazy. I thought, oh my God, the Cubs are going to take the momentum, they're going to win. And then the Indians just rally back, which yeah, I thought was, was insane. Crazy. So yeah, that six to three lead for the Cubs going into the eighth, eighth bottom of the inning. eighth. They have six outs, and the World Series is theirs. Six crazy. out away, Kristen. That's <laughs> so close. And then what happens? That eighth inning finishes, and they're stuck at a six-six tie. Crazy. I don't think that you could write a better game than this. You have them being tied through the ninth inning, and then that fifteen minutes of rain delay, which I actually think helped the Cubs. I agree. Like, if we're, if we're going to pull away from the an, an, an analysis of the game itself, I think that that rain delay kind of helped the Cubs, which honestly I think is the better team and yeah. was the better team, is the better team. Um, I think the rain delay kind of let them take a breath and, like, you know, hey, let, let's breathe. Let's remember how we got here. Let's remember the 100-plus win season that we had. Like, let's win one more and break this drought yeah and, and this drought i was also impressed with them in the bottom of the ninth just because the indians were at bat last so they mm-hmm. really had the chance to win the game yeah. and i credit the cubs for holding them to that 10th inning so i think it's all stems from there and then the rain delay which i remember as a fan was just like what <laughs> you're really gonna make me wait 15 minutes to see who wins but it was great my favorite part of the celebrations was seeing um his name is ross his last name i believe one david of the play- ross. david ross who yeah. hit the home run one of the mm-hmm. home runs who's retiring this year, this is his last game, 
I almost cried just seeing yeah. him so happy. I think that's the beautiful thing about the World Series is that you, you find a team to cheer for even if your team's not in it. And this series has been so special, so historic that, I mean, I have latched onto the Cubs. People will say I'm a bandwagoner. I agree <laughs> with them. I am. But, I mean, it really was a special moment and all of them crying and... It, I just love it. I'm yeah. a sucker for a good sports it kind was, of emotional moment. It was amazing. And normally after championships, unless I'll watch them just being a sports fan, but unless I have a team in the fight or have grown to maybe watch this one team through a whole playoff series, um, I won't watch the I won't watch the post game interviews. I'll be like, okay, cool, like this team won. Like let me get back to my homework or whatever else mm-hmm. I would would have been doing that night other than watching this game. But I was I sat and just watched the Cubs interviews. Uh, my roommate's from Chicago, so she she she's like screaming at this point because the Cubs had won, and she was just in this like state of disbelief. And it was a lot of fun to watch. I had the same kind of moment watching the championship series um, with another friend of mine, and just kind of being with her, being with her, being so happy, and then watching the players have those same emotions on screen. It was absolutely incredible, and I was thoroughly fulfilled and happy like yes it extended some more time than me like <laughs> doing my law homework but you know it was worth it I got to watch some some really well-deserving athletes win Finally a World Series. take something home for their city yeah yeah so we send them all the congratulations in the world I can't wait to see how they celebrate in Chicago I'm sure it's gonna be oh my god I just said Chicago with an accent there we go I'm around too many people <laughs> from right. there all day but I can't wait to see how they continue to celebrate throughout yeah. the rest of the year they're making they're making their home proud oh, finally yeah they deserve it yeah and i was selfishly happy it wasn't cleveland because i was like <laughs> you already won basketball you don't need both so good for them good for the cubs but we're gonna step off from baseball i know you guys yeah. are probably Ooh. sick of hearing us talk world series um we're gonna talk about some usc football it's of homecoming course, week always this week. i love homecoming me football too game. i love seeing all the old <laughs> alumni come back and I love, I mean, the Trojan family is such a big part of USC, so homecoming week is when, you know, they really get to show it off. Plus, we're playing Oregon, yeah. which normally I would be nervous about for the team, but this year, I'm not so much. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little nervous that the team might kind of overlook Oregon, mm-hmm. which is definitely what you don't want to yep. do. But I think uh, Helton has really instituted a good a good focus mentality and a good grinding, like, hey, we need to win this game and then win this game and then just kind yep. of repeated motion it's something that you see from the team in practice um Mm -hmm. most days of the week so i really think that they're going to be prepared for oregon i think that this porous and depleted ducks defense depleted (laughs) is something that uh, sam darnold's really going to take control of Mm -hmm. and just drop a bunch of dime passes and and really i think put up some great numbers as he has been i definitely agree and i'm i'm actually glad the team has this oregon game before they go up to washington just because while they did beat Cal, and while um, I think they have been playing progressively better, there are some mistakes that they continuously have been making with turnovers, just dumb mistakes, dumb penalties that we see a lot where it's unnecessary roughness yeah. or, you know, pass interference, things like that where it's just discipline. And I just, I think they need to correct that in this game because going into Washington, this team can afford to make no mistakes. Washington has been consistently good um, this whole season. I mean, still top five which is, again, I, I can't believe it. But in if they want to beat Washington looking forward, and I know they don't like to do that, but I think in this case they should, they have to not make those mistakes now and use this as a real practice game for when they go up to Seattle. Yeah, I, I feel like discipline is a, is a term that has been thrown around this football mm-hmm. program for the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I like that you brought up penalties. You have 
certain players are almost I don't want to say guaranteed to pick up penalties every during time, games, but, but you can say it. <laughs> almost almost every time um Iman Marshall, cornerback for the team, will pick up a pass interference. At least one O lineman will pick up a random penalty or yeah. make a false start, which Yeah, and it's not to say that they're not talented players. They're making good plays. Like, Adore Jackson will get a pass interference penalty every once in a while. But it's just, it's this level of discipline. It Mm -hmm. needs to not be happening every game. It needs to not be happening when it's third and long. And, hey, look, you're going to stop this team from getting a first down. And then it's, oh, hey, look, you have this pass interference penalty. Now it's first and 10, even closer and even closer for them to score a touchdown. Um, and I think turnovers, like you said, Sam Darnold has said something like since he's been named starter, something like six fumbles maybe and three interceptions or something. Mm-hmm. Again, just kind of comes down to discipline. I know that he specifically talked um, after practice this week saying like, hey, I need to be able to hold the ball better. I need to be sliding. I need to just be kind of aware of where the defenders are when I'm running with the ball or making a handoff or just to be more control. And like I said, like discipline, I think really comes down to it. I agree. So if they can do that, I think they'll have no problem um, beating the Ducks this year, which will be good. A uh, homecoming victory will be nice. So I'm excited to see that. And I'm excited to kind of get on to next, the next week. Yeah, of but course. Another USC team I hear has a big game this yes, week. Yes, most definitely. Our number five uh, USC women's soccer team will be facing number 19 UCLA Friday night at the StubHub Center, and I had a chance to sit down with Josh Cohn. He's a, a reporter here for us at Annenberg, and he really knows the team well. So we're gonna we'll have that inter- interview for you right now. So that's right. We do have a special guest in our podcast tonight. It's uh, Josh Cohen. He's a women's soccer fan analyst here at USC. He does a lot of our reporting for them here. So to say he knows uh, our women's soccer program would I would I think be an understatement. So Josh, can you talk a little bit about this match that's coming up on Friday night? So happy to be here. First of all, this is huge. Long awaited. We're making it happen. Huge matchup on Friday night. They're taking on UCLA at the StubHub Center, so it got moved there. Very exciting. They're going to be at the Galaxy Stadium. Should be raucous. They they draw huge crowds for this game every year. At UCLA last year, in the thousands. I mean, it was crazy. SC won that game 2-0. This year, what to expect? You have to be expecting a USC win at this point if you're a fan because they've been winning time and time again. Um, in terms of the matchup, you also have to be expecting a bloodbath per usual. I would say the first half hour of the game, I would be shocked if there's a goal. That's just me. USC tends to kind of feel out the opposition. The first 20, 30 minutes of the game, they don't always dominate. We saw that against Stanford. We saw that against UNC. They won both of those games 3-0. So I wouldn't be too concerned if you're going to this game and it's your first game of the season and you're all excited and SC's kind of on the back foot, maybe on level pegging with UCLA early on, but not dominating. It's kind of how this team is. As the game wears on, they grow into the game, and that's where they dominate. But as I said at the beginning, I think you have to be expecting a USC win. So to a casual fan, since it is a Crosstown Cup matchup, um, a lot of new people are going to be watching the team that haven't really followed them through the season. So what would you kind of say to them to get them up to speed so that they know what's going on uh, Friday night? Different look this year all over the field. Of course, Sammy Joe Prudhomme in goal, I'd say, all right, if you watched them last year, you know that she's back. But the back line. The back line's different, so that's the first thing you have to know. Of course, most important, you got to have a steady back four. 
Ali Prysock, the only returning starter from last year that's still on the back line. Dom Randall went down with an injury, very unfortunate. So you look at now, Mandy Freeman has to slide back from center defensive mid to center back. Julia Bingham, a freshman, starting outside back. Savannah Levin was a winger in the past. She's now an outside back. So that's what you're looking at is saying, okay, three of the four, basically newbies to the back line. Mandy Freeman, of course, with experience at center back in the past. But that then shakes up everything because you mix up the back four. Then you're saying, who's playing center defensive mid? Kayla Mills. She was the right back. So you have all kinds of shakeup before you even get to the midfield, the midfield trio that was so successful last year. Speaking of that, you saw Morgan Andrews last year. You saw Nicole Mullen. You saw what they did. That is intact. So the back line changed. The midfield, pretty similar. Sidney Slodek, a junior. Nicole Mullen, a junior. Morgan Andrews, who transferred, a senior. Midfield, pretty steady. Same as last year, more or less. Savannah Levin, of course, moving back to defense. But I would say that's what you have to keep your eye on in the midfield is saying they've progressed now another year. They've been playing together building that chemistry. We all know the importance of that. You have an off-season together. It's huge. Another change, the back line changes, also the front line, the forwards. You get Alex Anthony, a monster, an absolute monster, transferring from Maryland. Enormous for USC. She's been a beast this year all over the field. Hold up play. Watch for her against UCLA. Just hold up. Delay. Let the midfield, Mullen and Andrews, let them come then distribute, and the attack continues. And, of course, Katie Johnson, a.k.a. Kjo, got to be on the watch out for her. She was injured last season, and so it's a different look when she's playing. I mean, she'll play at the same time as Anthony, but they're very different players. So watch her fluidity off the ball. Both of them are outstanding finishers. So it's really the goalkeeper, the same. The back line, very different. Midfield, same. Forwards, very different. So personnel changes. They're being able to do a lot of different things tactically, and it should be really exciting. You brought up Morgan Andrews a bit. You said she has a transfer. She transferred from Notre Dame. Uh, she's been a welcome addition to this Women of Troy team out on the pitch. You mentioned last season uh, they beat UCLA 2-0, to both of those goals courtesy of Andrews. Being a senior, having that leadership, playing in the middle of the field, what do you see from her that makes her be so successful and so beneficial to the rest of her team? You just said it, leadership. That's the first thing because you can have all the skills, all the technique, all the finishing ability, all the defensive work. But to be a true leader, you just watch Morgan Andrews, what she does, how she conducts herself on and off the field. Consummate professional and really a joy to watch. But getting into her game specifically, how she makes other players better, watch what she does when the ball is not at her feet. And it's what I was alluding to with Katie Johnson, same deal. Movement off the ball is the name of the game. And obviously, defensively, yeah, you have to put yourself in positions to succeed defensively by backtracking, working back. Nicole Mullen does the same thing. Sydney Slotek does the same thing. You watch Andrews, the way she backtracks gets into positions to disrupt, you know, get into the passing lanes, disrupt any kinds of passes, using physicality to her advantage, those kinds of things. But offensively, movement off the ball is so, so immense. And when she checks into channels... It's purposeful. Sometimes it's a decoy. Sometimes she might know she's not going to get the ball. It's strategic. She's opening up a lane for someone else. And with Kayla Mills sliding into center defensive mid this year, it's huge because she wasn't playing with her last year, and now she is, and already how fluid they've been. And it can take a while. So for them to already have that before the postseason, it's amazing. To watch Morgan play, yes, she'll dazzle you with the foot skills. Yes, against UCLA, she might have a screamer that hits the top corner, and the crowd will leap to its feet, and you're going to say, all right, number three can absolutely ball. 
but it's in the kind of humdrum moments of the game when you really need to watch her. When all of a sudden USC seems to be maybe losing a bit of momentum, watch how they get it back. Number three is the engine, the way she moves off the ball, gets into channels, all of a sudden Mullen's getting on the ball more, Slotik's getting on the ball more. Outside backs are moving up and getting into channels on the flanks. You're saying, how did that happen? Watch what number three's doing without the ball. So we've kind of broken down how the USC team is this year. Josh, what's your score prediction for Friday night? 2-0. Same as last year. Um, I think it's going to be nil-nil at the half again. Just because watching the women of Troy play teams like Stanford and UNC, which I mentioned earlier, they weren't winning 3-0 at the break. You know, they grew into those games so well. And I think in any kind of rivalry, we always hear, oh, throw out the records, that kind of thing. I think it's very real with this game. UCLA, much improved from a year ago. I think in the first half, you're just going to see both teams knock the ball around. I would be shocked if there were more than two or three really quality scoring chances. You might see a couple half chances, you know, people pulling up, shooting from 30, 25 yards out, just testing the goalkeepers. Second half, I think USC, right around the hour mark, draws first blood. I think they finish the game off in the 85th minute with a second goal. I know that's very specific for a <laughs> prediction, but I'm just feeling it, Jody. We're saying 2-0 USC. Perfect. Well, I like that score prediction, Josh. There Thanks for coming in. Thank I feel so like much. I know so much more about this team. It's great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So you can catch the women of Troy playing Friday night at the StubHub Center against their crosstown rivals, UCLA. I'm really glad he came in to do that interview because I am not the soccer buff here. So, But I am excited for that team, excited to see them on the rise, and hopefully they'll get a nice victory to cap off the week. But I, I'm kind of tired. It's a little bit earlier than we normally do this, but the fatigue just it gets you. Carrying on from the World Series. So I think maybe we should stretch it out, take a yeah. little break from football, from soccer, and from baseball, and maybe kids some kids i love kids me Kristen. too we talk about this all the time children children are literally the and coolest. when you combine children and sports it's like a match made in heaven i'm very happy at this point so <laughs> i showed jody this video um last week yeah and i watched it one day at work and i just about cried because it was so darn <laughs> cute so the chicago bulls as we've talked about for a long time basketball nba twitter is fantabulous. They do such a good job with all their social media stuff. This is one such example. So they put this little three and a half minute video called Late Night Snack with Henry. It's this like three, four year old child. And He's adorable. I want to meet Henry. Oh, it's so cute. I'm going to play some of this. Listen to it. Like he has his own little late night intro. Just listen to it. Like 10 seconds of this kid's voice. You're going to have to keep listening to that to hear the rest. It is the cutest thing ever. They eat applesauce with D. Wade. He asks them if he's the best player on the team. It's more like, tweem. Like, it's so cute. (laughs) I can't deal. And then it's just adorable to see these, like, ginormous NBA players who are so well-known just interacting with this adorable. I don't even know how to describe it. What if he's my child? He's adorable. I've had the lovely pleasure of working at a summer camp the last two summers with kids about this age and a little bit older and they're just beyond adorable and honestly when you showed me this video I was like, "Oh, like yeah. my campers, like this yeah. is so cute." Um, 
I want Henry on our show. I don't know if that could ever happen. I know. I mean, we're making we calls should, to the should Bulls. We should figure it out. I know. I want to know whose kid that is. But uh, yeah. just an adorable video. Definitely <laughs> check it out. And just to see the NBA players react interacting with him is adorable too yeah, it's so adorable. check it out it'll make your week maybe watch it five times i have <laughs> but i think that's just about wraps things up for tonight yeah, right definitely so we hope you enjoyed our episode learned a lot about some football relived some fantastic cubs world series moments <gasps> and learned learned some new stuff about the usc soccer usc soccer team because yeah. they're great yes they are yeah so for the he said she said podcast i'm jody storm sullivan and i'm Kristen lago remember to subscribe to us on soundcloud and itunes and have a good rest of your day